We are Fusion Church located in Fishkill, New York. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and brings you hope. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody this morning? Wasn't worship team great? They did amazing, right? Awesome. So I am super pumped and excited, man. We're starting a new sermon series today or message series entitled Toxic. And I got to tell you, this has been kicking my butt all week. So now I'm not going to be alone. I'm about to hand you guys over what God's been working in my heart and in my life and reminding me of some really important things. And you guys are going to get to sit with that today as well. And uh, now there's some excitement, right? When we talk toxic, we think toxic people. Well, that's not until like our third part of this message series. So let's not get excited about that yet. Uh, Today we're going to talk about toxic thoughts, which I promise you are so much more dangerous in your life than all the toxic people that happen to be in your life. That's the reality. Our thoughts are so much more dangerous. And when I think of toxic, what is toxic, right? It's any poisonous material that can cause harm or death. And you know what? When I think of scripture, I remember what scripture tells us that our words or the tongue can bring life or death. How many of you know there's two tongues in our life? There's the one in our mouth that we speak and others hear. And then there's that vicious tongue in your head and in my head. The, the, man, the, the tongue that isn't always so kind to ourselves and others. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was honest, I have had thoughts in my life that I thank God nobody else hears what's between my ears. Right? Have you guys ever experienced that? I'm sure we all have. So today we're going to talk about toxic thoughts. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about toxic influences, toxic relationships, toxic words, and finally, toxic religion. And that's going to be a real fun one. So as I think about this idea of toxic as a message series, I, I realize that a lot of big conversations, if you come here with a family, are probably going to happen over the next couple of weeks after service. That's the reality. I'm going to say some things that might be hard to hear. I'm going to share some things that the Word of God says. And the Word of God, man, if you read it, it will mess you up in the most wonderful way. The Word of God says some things that are hard to accept sometimes. Things that are countercultural. Things that, man, our society tells us aren't right. But we know that the Word of God is truth. And what we're going to unpack today is we're going to talk about the life and death battle of your thoughts. The life and death battle of your thoughts. And your thoughts are habitual you got to realize as people that habits are the things you and I practice most. It's really that simple. Anything you do a lot of consistently becomes a habit. And man, I will tell you that your habits create the condition of your heart. Think about that. Your habits create the condition of your heart. And if you think like God, you become like Christ. If you think like God, you become like Christ. But if you think negative, you become a negative person. Or as my wife likes to say to our kids, a negative Nelly. You become a negative Nelly, right? So the thoughts, now if you guys have your app, you want to open it up here. Thoughts are the weapons in the battlefield of the mind. Your thoughts will bring life or death. It's a weapon of the battlefield of the mind. What that means is you have the power to wield that weapon against yourself. Put downs. Negative self-statements, things that were spoken bad about you in your life. You know, for some of us, we had a hard upbringing. And we label ourselves the things that we were called as children, whether at school, by peers, siblings, or even our parents. Some of us are jacked up today because we had parents that didn't believe in us. Well, I have good news for you. We have a Heavenly Father who can rewrite your story. 
who has rewritten mine. Your thoughts are the weapon of the battlefield of your mind. And what you want to realize is you can also choose to use that weapon no longer against yourself, but against your adversary, the father of lies, which the Bible tells us is Satan himself. So every lie comes from the devil, even if your best friend spoke it. Every truth and every wonderful thing comes from who? From God. Every true and wonderful thing comes from God. So the goal today for us is to learn how to capture our thoughts and bring them down into being coming obedient to Christ. To capture our thoughts and to replace them with truth. And that's a hard task because that in and of itself has to become a new habit in your life and my life because we're not trained that way. And let me tell you, I, I know something about thoughts, negative thoughts. I know a lot. And before I share with you a little bit of my own story, I, I want to leave you with a truth here before we go into that story. You show me your thoughts and I will show you your future. What you think today has the power to make or wreck your tomorrow. Think about an illustration of a young girl who grows up in an alcoholic home with an abusive father and on a value system, she learns to settle for abusive men. Why? Because somehow what she came to believe about herself is that she's less than. And throughout her life, unless that gets corrected with truth, she'll continue to treat herself less than. Where have you sold yourself out? Take a moment and think about that. I can't. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'll never be able to do that. How could God use me? What value do I bring to a church or to an organization or to my job? Do I have anything worth saying? Are people interested in my thoughts, opinions? Am I lovable? I've been rejected by my family my whole life. You think of these statements, and on some level, every one of us has said these statements in our life. But for me, I've struggled with thoughts, and maybe not those. I'm a highly anxious person. Do, do I have any people who struggle with anxiety in this room? All right, quite a few. Good, I'm not the only one. I'm sorry for you, but I'm not alone. That's good. Um, man, let me tell you, man, anxiety has wrecked a great portion of my life. It really has. When I was a kid, my parents used to call me a worrywart. Why? Because I worried about everything. I worried about death. I worried about life. I worried about school. I worried about everything. And the irony is I can't control one thing. I can't even control whether I'm going to wake up the next morning. Only God holds my life in the palm of his hands, but I lived as I did. And the reality is I compensated because I lived that way, but lacked the godly ability. It stressed me out. And it was only later, after I came to Christ, many years after me becoming born again, born into the family of God, did God bring healing into my life, but it came through what we're going to talk about today. I had to learn the habit of capturing a thought and filtering it through the Word of God. And the question is, what do I choose to believe? I'm done worrying. I'm done paying the cost of thoughts that are unhealthy. I don't want it robbing my destiny, my potential in Christ, why I was created. What you have to realize is your thoughts are going to bring life and death. I'm no different than you. If you think less of yourself, your thoughts are toxic. If you think you're not enough, your thoughts are toxic. And it's going to rob your greatest potential in Christ. It's going to rob that thing you were created for. It's going to rob being known by God and knowing God to its fullest because you live life thinking you're not good enough for God. I don't know about you, when I open my Bible, I don't have to make amends. 
I'm told that when I come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. If you claim Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, the stuff you're feeling bad about actually no longer exists. The problem is we live as if it does. We live as if it does. And we continue this walk saved, being known by God, but feeling miles away from him. We live saved and we're constantly asking God for forgiveness for things that the Bible says he already forgot if he forgave you. I almost, I, I almost think comically, like sometimes when I, when I do these repetitive, God, forgive me. In reality, scripture says he already has, but I keep saying it because of my own guilt and shame. Like I wonder, is God sitting in heaven going, dude, I, I forgave you of that. I have no idea what you're talking about. Because somehow in his own volition, in his own godly ability, he says that, he, that his memory, when it comes to your sins being forgotten about as far as these is from west. You know what that means? It's apart from him. God in his own sovereignty does not recall your past. And we have to learn how to stop living in it. And that's hard. This isn't one of those messages on a Sunday morning where I'm just going to tell you to pray more. You need to have more faith. No, this, is, this isn't that. Because you've been praying. Because you have faith, and somehow something's still broken. It's about the seeds we sow. Every action is a seed. When I choose to think, you know, let, me, let me be fair. Sometimes thoughts come in, and we don't choose them. They're called intrusive thoughts, right? And, and they come upon us heavy. When we choose to hang out with that negative thought, that's a seed sown. And the outcome of that seed is death. When I hang out with the thought, I'm not good enough, I'm not valuable enough, and, and I consider that that could be true, I'm sowing a seed of death in my life. Conversely, when that thought comes, you're not good enough, you're not capable enough, and I choose to reject it, and I stand on the rock who is God, and I filter that, that rejection through truth that is not of God, I sow a seed of life. What seeds do you sow in your life? Let's take a moment between us and God. Let's just take a brief moment. Write down in your app or on your notepad or in your note uh, file in, in, your in your phone. God, what is one thought that I've been carrying all these years that I want you to heal in my life? God, what is one thought that has hurt me, that has been spoken over my life that I continue to repeat? What is the one thing that I consider that doesn't line up with your word? Man, write that down. It's an act of faith. Write down one or two things that you've thought about yourself that you wish wasn't true. Take a moment and write that down. Proverbs 4, 23. Carefully guard your thoughts. Let's stop there. Carefully guard your thoughts. Who's doing the guarding? You. Some of us want God to come in and give you a miracle that he purposed to be your responsibility. God has given us the miracle, the word of God, the filter of life, the truth that is unchanging throughout all time. It's your job and my job to apply that truth to our lives. Carefully guard your hearts. You are the gatekeeper of the door of your mind. What am I choosing to allow in? What thoughts do I choose to consider? Carefully guard your thoughts because they are the source of true life. They are the source of true life. Or in some cases, if our thoughts are not filtered through truth, 
If we don't take that action step, they will bring death. You will hurt yourself. Too many of you have been hurting yourself all of these years because you think junk about yourself. Why? Because you made a mistake 10 years ago? Because you did something in your life that you think God nobody knows? And yet God can turn that pencil upside down and erase it as if it never happened. Carefully guard your thoughts. But see, we have to change, folks. And it's not on a belief level. Many of us don't have problems in our beliefs. We don't. We believe God is good. We believe God is real. We believe the word of God is true. But do you know your beliefs and values can be miles apart? Beliefs are something we consider to be true. But believe it or not, this is the scary part. Beliefs do not influence behavior. How do I know that? Well, I believe it's wrong to steal. I believe it's wrong to lie. How many of you this week told a white lie? We say white lie as if it's a little holier than dark lie. But the reality is it's wrong. How many of you have stolen something in the last year? Well, I don't steal until the cashier gives you more change than she needed to. And you walk away with that 50 cents in your pocket and you leave your integrity and character at the door. Hope I'm not stepping on toes. See, that's the problem with beliefs. They don't translate into behavior, only convictions. You want to know what translates into behavior? Values. You see, we can believe, we can believe stealing is wrong. But unless we value on a values level, that we have a value of character and integrity when it comes to stealing, we will justify it. We will justify every bad action in our life, but we don't easily violate values. What value might be loyalty. Above all things, I'm a loyal person. A value might be honesty. Man, I'll never lie. We all know people like that. They're not the majority. It's actually the minority. People that will always tell the truth no matter how difficult it is. Why don't they take the easy road like some of us? Because we all believe the same thing. Lying is wrong. But why don't those folks compromise? Because on a values level, they value honesty. Our faith has to go deeper than beliefs, folks. It has to become our very values. And what influences values? Culture, society, our families. Values have a lot to do with how we choose to live our lives. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. Because when our values are not consistent with God's truth, we believe toxic things. And you know what happens when we believe toxic things? We ruminate over them. We ruminate. You know what rumination is? I actually live on a little mini farm. I have goats. They actually will eat and they have four stomachs. And then later when they're chilling in the shade, they vomit it. And then they rechew it. And they ruminate. And it ruminates and turns into gases in their, in their stomach after they chew the cud. And, and what happens with rumination? That happens deep within our souls. And when we ruminate over something, that means we practice it over and over and over again. Remember how things become habits. The thing we do consistently over and over again becomes habitual in our lives and then eventually becomes us. And then we become shame and guilt addicted. And you know why our default setting becomes negative thinking? Because the things we practice most, this is going to make me sound really smart, they've discovered that it actually creates neural pathways in our brains. In the psychology field, and what happens with neural pathways is that there's a, a shortcut in your brain to a certain type of behavior. 
For some of us, we think addictions, drugs, alcohol, pornography, overeating, overspending, and that's all true. You have neurological pathways, and your brain actually gets restructured. The same thing happens with habitual thoughts. This is heavy. Your thoughts that are toxic are quite literally killing you. And it's become who we are, and it's changed our, our brains and, and how they work. And we end up with toxic outcomes. And, and you know what they all discovered? Psychology Today had an article. And they said the average American spends 70% of their time, minimum, the average American, with negative thoughts. They actually call it a negative thought bias. That means your mental chatter, that voice that, that speaks, the, the, things, the, the thing in you that thinks, that your mental chatter 70% of the time is negative. It's fearful. It's anxious. It's self-condemning. It hurts us deeply. Within. And we think of things such as, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable enough. I'm not a risk taker. Some of us, we're not risk takers because we don't like the adrenaline. You know why we're not risk takers? Because we fear the outcomes. We fear failure. So we never take a risk in life, and we never take a risk with God. We play it safe. But our Bible tells us something really powerful. You know, positive thinking is not enough. You know what happens when I'm inspired? If you walk out here today inspired, you're going to go eat lunch and the inspiration's gone. You know, and that's why this whole positive thinking movement, it's good, but it's not long-lasting. Because positive thinking only affects my short-term beliefs. It never affects my values. Let's talk about a value today in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. For though we walk in the flesh, meaning we live in this fallen earth, meaning life is hard, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Scripture is actually telling you you're in a war, and you're not going to beat it through positive thinking. You're in a war in your mind, and you're not going to beat it through the things that, man, the encouraging books, the, the self-help books and all of that, it only works for a small season. For the weapons of our warfare, say are not. They're not. They're not flesh and blood. They're, they're not from us. They're not from the wisdom of the world. But have divine power to destroy, to, uh, to destroy strongholds. Say power. That comes from a Greek word, which means to demolish. It comes from a, a Greek word that actually means the explosive power of God, dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite from. So what scripture actually says, if we interpret it correctly, the weapons of our warfare are not from the flesh or of the flesh. Have divine explosive power to demolish, to destroy strongholds. And the Greek word for strongholds. Man, think about this. It means prisoner locked by deception. Do you realize you can be a prisoner by the things you believe and think? So scripture's telling us, man, we have the divine dynamite, explosive power of God to destroy the things that have imprisoned you. To destroy, to explode the thoughts that you and I have carried that are contrary to the word of God. You are no longer slaves. Unless you choose to live like one. Unless you choose to live like a prisoner. Verse 5, we destroy, we destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against 
the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. For we destroy arguments of every lofty opinion. You know what that means? Anything contrary to the word of God is simply an opinion. There's no truth in it. If there was truth in it, it would be, follow me, in agreement with the word of God. If we live any other way, we're living in darkness. Whatever it is you believe, if it doesn't line up with that book, it's just an opinion. It's an argument. An argument against all that is truth in the world, regarding God, regarding your life, regarding my life and our relationships. And what does scripture say? Then we grab it. We grab hold of it. And we bring it into obedience with God. And if we don't, there's a great cost because we will continue to be prisoners locked away by deception. Think of those one or two things you wrote down. What is it I want God to heal in my life? If you don't find healing for that today and a seed to sow toward that healing, you will walk out of here a prisoner. How many of you want to walk out the same way you walked in today? Not me. Not me. So let's talk about thoughts messing you up. Let's talk about feelings of inferiority. And today we're going to unpack the story of Joshua. This is a crazy story. You know, uh, we're going to actually look at the book of Joshua, uh, chapter one. But before we do that, I got to give you the backdrop. Here's Moses at the end of Deuteronomy. He's gone through 40 years in the desert. He's literally right up on the hill. And God brought him to see with his eyes the promised land. And, and most scholars believe there was about 2 million uh, Hebrew with them at that time. So that means he's literally leading a group of 2 million people living in tents. And they're following him. And, and Moses dies. And there's Joshua, his assistant. I, I guess the next in line. And scripture says that up to this point, Moses was the greatest prophet Israel had ever known. I mean, this is a guy God used to just create miracle after miracle in the parting of the Red Sea. People were proud to follow him. And here's his assistant that in his life, apart from Moses, did nothing well, nothing great apart from Moses. And now, he died. And these two million people followed him. And you know what scripture says? That when Moses died, they mourned for 30 days. Imagine a 30-day funeral. I mean, this is how big Moses was. But this message isn't about Moses. It's about Joshua. And it's about his story of how he dealt with inferiority and fear. And, and there's a book that I like reading. It's actually called The Book of Legends. It's, it's not biblically inspired. It's actually a, an old Hebrew book that's the, a mix of the Midrash and the Talmud. And there's a story about Joshua in there that coincides with the Torah or Old Testament. And the story says that he faltered in his confidence. That's actually what it says. It says that Joshua faltered in his confidence, and upon Moses' death, he was confused and withered in his mental strength. Now, why is that important? Because before the Torah was written, it was in oral form. And this is actually a story that the Hebrew folks, the Jewish folks, would would speak of and teach one another regarding Joshua. And what we could see from Scripture is even though that book is not inspired, that there's a great measure of truth there. This was a man who really needed to step to the plate. And he knew a few things. I'm not enough. I'm nothing like Moses. I can in my own strength and ability. I mean, how many of you would like to be the leader of two million people? Nope. <laughs> Everybody hanging on you to make a decision that is going to equate to life or death in their situation? Everything rose and fell 
on the shoulders of this leader. So here he is, faltering in his mental ability, believing he's not good enough, he's not smart enough, he's not talented enough. How many of you have been where he's at? At some point, all of us. I'm never going to be the husband God called me to be. Never going to be the father or mother God called me to be. Man, I've made mistake after mistake in my finances. I'm into debt up to my eyeballs. My marriage is on the rocks. My kids are going astray. Life is falling apart. I feel just like Joshua. That's how he felt. And we're going to pick up scripture with Joshua 1, verse 5 to 9. No man, this is God speaking to Joshua, reminding him after this backdrop I gave you, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as, say the word just as. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I don't know where you're at today, but the same message that God is speaking to Joshua, he's speaking to you just as he was with Moses. And we're going to see just as he was with Joshua, just as he was with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God that rose him from the dead is alive in you and me if we claim to be children of God. Just as he was with them, God is with you wherever you're at today. I will not leave you. Or forsake you. How many of you know that God's presence is guaranteed in your life if you're a believer? But his promises, they're optional. Think about that. The promises you pray, all the things you stand on are optional because it takes a seat of faith very often. And many of the promises that you and I claim, his presence is active in your life, is guaranteed in your life. But his promises are optional. And we're going to come to understand that in just a moment. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the, uh, uh, do not turn from it the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Think about it. He's being told to meditate on truth. God reminds him three times, be strong and very courageous. And what is the action step? God is not saying, I'm going to make you strong and courageous. He didn't say that. He's reminding you and him to be strong and courageous, and this is what you must do. Stand on the word of God. Meditate on it, on it word, uh, day and night. Grab what you believe about yourself, what's been spoken about your life, and filter it through truth. And whatever comes out the other side is what you ought to believe. Because what you and I believe, what you and I think, it's going to be tested by fire. Either in the life to come, or you and I can test it now. And we can live the life that God has destined for you and I to live. You know what it does? It corrects bad reasoning. It corrects bad reasoning. And then it goes on, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to what is written in it for then. Say for then. You always have to pay attention to what happens before the statement. For then. If you meditate on God's word day and night, if you apply God's truth to your life concerning your worth, your identity, your thoughts, if you filter all the junk you and I think through the word of God, if you do that for then, you will make your ways prosperous. God's presence is guaranteed. His promises are optional. God is not an enabler. 
God has given you through the power of the Holy Spirit everything you and I need to live a life of success. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. You have the ability by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for all of that to be real in your life. For then. For then. Man, I love that. For then you will make your ways prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? You have to fight the natural tendency, folks. You and I have a habit. We have an addiction of negative thinking that will slay your very existence in this life. It can't steal your salvation. That work was done by Jesus. But the victory you live today is by what you and I surrender to God. Have you surrendered your thoughts, your beliefs, your natural inclinations, the things you want, your desires, the goals of your life? Have you surrendered it to God? Have you? Have I? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Guys, we, 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 have, we have a really important decision to make today. Number one, do I see, do I value, not do I believe, do I value the word of God as truth? Is that part of my value statement? Or do I get sidetracked, confused by society and what society says is right? Or do I bring what society says to the word of God and filter it? kind of like a colander, right? If you guys make pasta, what do you do with the pasta when it's done cooking? You throw it in a colander and it filters out all the water. The word of God is meant to filter out all your junk, all my junk, and all the junk of our society. Because what society believes today, they didn't believe 15 years ago. Whatever society deems as right and true changes, like the wind. Every 15 to 20 years, there's a cultural shift. Just look into history. Don't believe me. But the Bible has never changed. And it never will. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse uh, 112 to 116. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Step one, do I, do I see the word of God as the joy of my heart? Is it my foundation of truth? Is it the thing that I choose to stand on? Verse 112. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Man, when I read this, I was actually sitting in the recliner. I inclined my heart. And, and I tell you, God spoke to me in that recliner. And I thought, I'm sitting declined. I'm at a place of relaxation. And then I, I, I pulled that lever and I sat up and I said, man, I'm going to incline my heart. Do you know your natural tendencies are like gravity? They will pull you they will pull you down. People will speak death over your life. Too many of us have been living in the spirit in a declined position. You have to incline yourself. You have to decide to sit up. You have to decide to say, I'm no longer going to accept the things that come easy. I'm going to incline my spirit and my heart. I'm not going to do this spirit thing lazy. I'm not going to walk this faith walk lazy. I'm going to get up and incline my heart and incline my spirit. It's amazing what God uses to speak to you, isn't it? So I elevated myself. And I thought, man, how in the world do we elevate ourselves in the spirit? And that brought me to the second important part. The first is on a value system. Is the Bible true? Do I really value that or do I just say it? And the, and the second, am I going to capture this lie? Will I, will you identify it as a lie? And then the third, once we're inclined, once we're elevated, I'm going to correct this with truth. 
does the Bible say regarding me not being good enough? What does the Bible say regarding my past being used against me by the enemy or sometimes by our own family members? I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. What does the Bible say about the condition of your heart? Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your laws. You know what the double-minded is? Man, I think it's two things I thought of when I was reading this. It's the conflict between your values and your beliefs. It's the conflict. I believe God is good, but I blame him every time something bad happens in my life. So on a value system, I feel sorry for myself, but I believe God is good. Man, I believe stealing is wrong, but on a values level, whatever I can get away with, I, I, I will. And you know what guilt is? It's a natural byproduct of us living our lives in contradiction to what we believe. The psalmist is saying, I hate the double-minded. Do you hate when you're double-minded? I know I do. The worst feeling in the world for me is guilt. I hate feeling like I'm holding the bag of responsibility. I hate feeling guilty and shameful that I've done something wrong. I hate that feeling. And that's where the psalmist is out here. And what he's really telling us is that he hates that conflict between what he says he believes and how he actually lives. The way you live, is it lining up to the truth of God? Because if it doesn't, you struggle like the psalmist and myself at times with being double-minded. 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word my hiding place your word the bible is my resource it's the place i go when i'm in doubt when i'm not sure what to believe about something i go to the word of god it is my hiding place it is my filter it is my truth you will continue to have th toxic thoughts for the rest of your life until you filter them out with the word of god otherwise it's going to steal your greatest potential Verse 15, depart from me. I've grabbed that lie. I've identified it as a lie. I've labeled it as a lie. I've claimed by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am no longer in agreement that I'm not good enough, that I'm not lovable enough. Man, that I'm worth being abandoned. I, I disagree with that in the name of Jesus. What does the Bible say? I am a child of God. Depart from me, lie, in the name of Jesus. You have a weapon. But you and I, we fail to use it. This is the biggest adversary of your life, is your mind. So the psalmist says, depart from me, evildoer, that I may keep the commandments of God. I must choose for that lie to depart from me in order for me to stand on truth. You can't cohabitate a lie in truth. The Spirit of God does not cohabitate with lies. You can't believe on a values level. You can't have two opposing values. Do you value God or do you value what you have? Think of what you wrote down. 116. Uphold me according to your promises that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Here's a truth you want to look in, into your app with. Your calling is often contained in your challenges. Sometimes the thing you are attacked most in is the thing you are mo meant to be most productive with. I'll read that again. Your calling is often contained in your challenges. Sometimes the things you are attacked most in is a thing you are meant to be most productive with. Guys, it starts in your habits. Why has the enemy worked really hard all your life to destroy your identity, your personhood? For fear. 
Because the enemy doesn't know the outcome of your life. He's not omniscient like God is. So, so a baby's born, and here's the fear. How might God use you as a little child to bring about the growth of his kingdom? How might God use you to bring about healing? How might God use you miraculously throughout your life? So you know what the enemy does? He jams you up as a child so that you believe horrible things about yourself. So when you become a child of God, you may be a son of God or a daughter of God, but you're useless for the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because you're too scared to step out in faith. Because you've allowed toxic thoughts to rob what you should become, what you were meant to be. And that's how the enemy works in your life. And what you have to realize is the thing that you feel most attacked in is probably the thing that God has blessed you most with. Filter it. That's the truth. And I don't, and I'll be honest, we don't teach this enough. We don't. That's the truth you and I have to hold on to desperately. So, so what are the pros, guys, to make the shift? What's the pros to have a value system that is congruent with the word of God? Man, and this isn't even from the Bible. This is, let me tell you, no, there's no new news under the sun. I mean, this is from the Bible, but I got this from a psychology manual. Those who believe well of themselves, they have increased lifespans. You're going to live longer. Lower rates of depression, lower levels of distress, greater resistance to the common cold. I mean, heck, it even helps your immune system. <laughs> Better psychological and, and physical and spiritual well-being. Uh, that's a no-brainer. Better cardiovascular health, reduced risk of heart attacks, strokes, hypertension. Better coping skills when times are hard in life. Why? Because you know what? I'll be honest with you, we're all going to go through suffering in this life. I don't know how people do it without God. Did you ever lose somebody? How do people go through the journey of the loss of a loved one, the loss of a dream, the loss of a home? When life slays you, how do you go through that without a redeemer? I have no idea. It's a miracle to me they're even alive because I know I've been through some terrible things in my life and it's only been by the hand of God that I've been brought through. It's only been by his truth. But you have to be willing to identify the lies you believe. You have to kick them out of your mind and replace them with truth. So I thought it'd be a good idea to give you guys eight truths today to stand on that may relate to one thing or many that each of you in this room struggle with. Let's talk about truths. Number one, you are a new creation. Guys, I put the scripture references up there. Go back and read it. Listen, whatever your past is, wherever you're at on your journey, when you came to know Jesus, he forgave you. It's done. Man, I don't care if you robbed a bank. You may have even killed somebody. Don't tell nobody, but you may have. You're forgiven. Alcohol, pornography, whatever it is you've done in your life, it's behind you. You're a new creation. You know what that means? That who met Jesus is not the person who left after Jesus. And maybe you don't know Jesus today as the Lord and Savior of your life. Have that promise. You can be a new creation in Christ by a simple choice. Scripture says to believe that he is the Son of God who died for your sins and my sins. Number two, we talked a little bit about this one already. You're forgiven. Number three, you were created for a purpose. Every human being is created with a destiny that God dreamt for you. Think that for a moment. I want you to say this in your minds. God has a dream in my life. Say that to yourself. God has a dream and a hope for my life. That's a precious gift. It changed my very course of my future. Number four, you have value. 
Jesus put himself on a cross for you and for me. Imagine, not many people would die for somebody, right? Jesus died for you so you can have the forgiveness of sins, so you can have the hope of heaven, salvation, a relationship with God. There's nothing more valuable to God than you. Nothing. Number five, you have a heavenly family to call your own. Man, some of us were in foster care. Others were abandoned by parents. There's one parent you have that will never leave you, never forsake you, never die tragically, that is always there and has your back, and his name is God. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they're there for you, and he blesses you with a church family. Now, how many of you know you can't choose your blood, right? Man, I was born into a family. When I'm going through hard times, many of them aren't there for me. They don't even call me. And then there's you guys. Just the mention that I'm struggling. I get calls, text messages, and if I don't answer, you home? Man, you've been given a family you can't get rid of if you wanted to. You can't. And the church family is meant to bless you. You see, a lot of the love that you and I want from God, through God's sovereignty, he positioned that love to be given through his church. You are God's plan A, to love and build up one another and to save the world. You have a family to call your own. Number six, you are God's temple. The Bible teaches us very clearly that when you come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, the Holy Spirit is deposited in your life. Seven and eight, you are precious to God. Number eight, you are a child of God. He chooses you as a child through redemption. Because prior to knowing Jesus, if you don't know God today, the Bible's clear that we're objects of his wrath. And we deserve hell because of sin. But he calls us not slave, but friend and child. And he grafts us in through Jesus Christ, who is a bridge to God, the only bridge. And the only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Thus we believe it. Because you're precious. Because you're his child. Man, I don't know what baggage you came in wearing today. I don't, I got no clue what you came in with. Only you do. You wrote one or two of them down. What I promise you is that God wants to grab that bag you've been carrying and he wants to dump it upside down at the foot of his cross. The nails that went through his palms are nails that go into those things you carry. You can have a moment today between you and God where he takes that from you, but it requires a, a seat of faith. God, give me the courage. Give me the strength to grab hold of that lie that I have feared my whole life. I hold it in my hands. Give me the courage to release it to you, Father. God, bless me with the knowledge of Scripture. One word, one verse. Google, what does the Bible say about anxiety? Google, right? You can Google this stuff today. It's amazing. What does the Bible say about abandonment? I'm a child of God. I'm grafted in. I'm an heir to the throne of God. I'm a brother or sister with Christ Jesus. I throw away that lie and I stand on this truth. I pray you have that confidence today. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Jesus, for the work you're doing in our hearts and minds. God, give us the strength to identify the lie, to label it as a lie. 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are no longer in agreement with it. We break it right now in the name of Jesus. We break chains, Lord God, right now in the name of Jesus that have, that have been t- hooks into each person in here today. We break the lie. We expose the lie, Lord God. And we receive your truth, Lord God, that we are children of God. We're grafted in. We're heirs to the throne of God. We are loved. Man, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, but you want one, if that's you, just raise your hand and say, that's me. Nobody's looking. Everybody's eyes are closed. If that's you, just raise your hand. Anybody want a relationship with God today who doesn't already have one? If you're here today and you've been struggling some time with thinking everybody's out to get you, you have a woe is me mentality, you feel like you're not enough, you're not good enough, if that's you and you need healing and you need to give that to God, just raise your hand and say, God, that's me. I see your hand. Anyone else? I see your hand. Thank you. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for these folks that in faith, Lord God, said, that's me. I need a fresh outpouring, God. I need my mind and my heart to be changed on a values level. Lord God, we trust you because your word says that you not only hear our prayers, but you'll answer them, God. Thank you for the miracle that's on its way. In your name, Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. You can click the links in the description to follow us on Facebook or visit FusionChurchNY.com for more information. And if you enjoy this message, make sure to subscribe and share with your friends and family. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.